people, this is episode 7 of Banter Motivation. I am Iyamide. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone except those who pretend to be black or pretend to have black heritage for the sole purpose of profiting. Ugh. Yes, culture vultures, I'm talking about you. I hope you guys are having a good week so far. Let me tell you a funny story. This guy in Sheffield, which is in England, was going to propose to his fiancée and she was at work. So he set everything up, you know, arranged like tea lights, you know, use it to write, will you marry me? All that good stuff. Everything was looking nice. The whole idea was when she came back from work, she would, you know, walk into that and he'll propose. So he sets everything up and he goes to pick her up from work. And of course, he's excited. She doesn't have any idea what's going on. And as they're coming back, they get home and see that their apartment is on fire and there's fire service and all that stuff there. So pretty much his proposal or attempt at his proposal ended up costing them their apartment. Literally, like the pictures, everything is black, charred, falling apart to the ground. They lost everything. I will commend him, though. He still got on his knees in the middle of that chair and rubble and proposed. So I guess you could say he was determined. Also, he's already burned the apartment down, so I guess he might as well. So I say all that to say, I hope your week went better than that. I cannot believe we're already halfway through August. No joke. One moment, it was mid-March. Students were going on spring break. You know, everybody was getting ready for the weather to start warming up. Then Corona came and slapped us into lockdown and we were thinking, this will soon be over, this will soon be over. May, June, July, August, oh, I skipped uh, April, my bad. (laughs) April, May, June, July, now we're halfway through August and a new school year is starting. People are going back to school, people are starting college. How... It's wild. It's really wild. That means five months that COVID-19 has disoriented us. Anyway, we have three interesting discussions this week. We'll be talking about black fishing, renouncing your U.S. citizenship, and I'm bringing you another episode of Do Black Lives Really Matter? Chicago people, answer present because this is about you guys. I will also be sharing a very special project that I've been working on, something that is dear to my heart, and I'm super, super excited to finally be, I guess, publicizing it, launching it, get kicking it off the ground. Is that really, is that a term? Kicking it off the ground. Anyway, you guys know what I mean. So, mental health check. How are you guys doing? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you protecting your peace? The virus finally taking its toll. I've noticed that a lot of people were fine the first few months. And the longer this thing just kept on, it just slowly started eating at people, like just wearing them down, all their positivity, all their good and happy mantras, and we will prevail, really just wore them down. So be conscious of that. It creeps up on you. Some people have already experienced their... COVID mental shocks and are doing better at dealing with it. Some people are just now realizing, wait, what happened? What's going on? They're totally losing it. So don't forget to do your litmus test, know how you're doing, know what corrections you need to make. If it's the news and politics that's stressing you out, just tune off, tune out, give yourself a break, protect your mental health at all costs. So black fishing. 
you guys are probably thinking, you know what, let me not say that because you guys probably know what this word is or have heard about it. And I'm the one who's late to the party and just finding out. Anyway, black fishing pretty much means someone pretending to be black or giving off the impression that they are black to get financial gain. When I first saw it, I'm like, mm, okay, we already have cultural appropriation. How is that different? I don't know if it's just supposed to be a new, more modern term, but yes, that's what black fishing is, aka culture vulture. I like that thing. I don't know why, maybe because it rhymes or whatever. I feel like that would be a good, I don't want to use the word insult so you guys can respect me, but yes, calling somebody culture vulture, I think that sounds just better. I don't know, more interesting. Anyway, I don't know if you guys, people in America, remember Rachel Dolezal. She was the white woman who was living as a black person. Kid you not. So she was actually the Spokane, Washington, that's Washington State, chapter head or leader of the NAACP. And for those who don't know, NAACP means National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. So, I mean... Goes without saying, you are supposed to be colored to be a part of the organization and obviously to even be in leadership. Anyway, this woman was living as a black person for years, working as a black person. She was actually a respected black rights activist. She used to teach in the university there. She had like all these special positions and, you know, what have you. She was an educator. So you can imagine the shock and surprise of the world. This happened in 2015. So of course, it's not anything new. Shock of the world when she had an interviewer come and they were supposed to be talking about hate crimes or crimes and stuff. That's what she thought she was going to be interviewed about. Only for the reporter to ask her, are you African-American? <laughs> and I still remember that video because her face just fell. You could see it was like a fight or flight and she literally got up and ran. So that's how the whole thing crumbled. Her parents came on TV, were giving interviews. They're like, clearly we are 100% white. She's not adopted. Homegirl is white. And they had pictures of her from when she was younger. And she's 100% white, blonde hair, all that good stuff. This woman had, at some point, decided that it would pay her better to live as a black person, to profit off the struggles of black people, get herself involved, tanning her skin. Like, she looked like someone who, at best, you would say she's biracial. Tanning her skin and, you know, makeup and treatments and making her hair curly and really you know, living this thing, dedicatedly living as a black person. So that was the most famous case that I've heard, like outright, actually, this person is crazy. And of course, when she got exposed, it was such a fall from grace because she lost her job. You know, she lost, obviously had to step down from being in the NAACP. Every other, you know, public accolade she had gotten, everything was snatched away. And she was in this weird conundrum because white people were like, you are a race trader. How can you be a white person? Like, why would you be pretending to be black, right? And then black people are like, um, this is 1000% cultural appropriation. You are a culture vulture. How did you, I'm sure there was some shame there as in how were you able to deceive us? It doesn't make any sense. So a few years after that, she got arrested for fraud. She was committing fraud, healthcare, not healthcare, sorry, social security welfare system. She's trying to get money and all this stuff from them. And she wasn't giving the accurate amounts of what she had made just so she would qualify for those benefits. 
obviously when all these things happened, she lost her job. I think I already said that. And nobody else would hire her because people knew <laughs> who she was. Like two years after that or three years after that, maybe in her attempt to redefine herself, she changed her name to Nkechi Diallo. I'm sorry, but this woman is a big joke. Obviously, Nkechi being an Igbo name and Diallo, I know is like French African. So I've heard a lot of people from, you know, French West African countries bear that name. So sis, how? Like you haven't learned your lesson, obviously, because 100% that is not a white person's name. But she was saying she just wanted something maybe so different, so out there, give herself, you know, a break. But of course, as soon as she would get to an interview, people would see her and immediately recognize who she was. Literally, her life fell apart and she was now depending on, you know, food stamps and other government assistance. So many people, friends and all that, cut her off or pretended not to know her. So that is an actual extreme case. And I don't feel bad for her. She got what she deserved. I do feel she probably should have had a mental evaluation because she was still insisting that... She felt black and, you know, black is a state of mind, which I'm sorry, what are you talking about? That is just absurd and white privilege at its finest. Now, what made this whole story, a whole thing come up was because Rita Ora, who is a, I guess I'm doing air quotes, British, you know, musician, got, just got outed. I don't know if the word is outed, but she's racially ambiguous. Like if you see her, you can't tell where she's from. You know, she could pass off as, you know, biracial, you know, something ethnic, maybe Latin American. But I kid you not, I've never seen her and thought white. I've thought, you know, at best she's mixed with white. Anyway, she's actually Albanian, a hundred percent Albanian. Both of her parents are Albanian. She was born in Europe. She's Albanian. And why this is so weird is I'm in my research, I didn't find anywhere where she came out and said, I'm black, right? So it's not like this other crazy woman who was living black. She's never come out to say she was black, but she's always portrayed that whole black vibe mantra. And you're probably thinking, what is that? So how black people look, of course, braids is like a big black thing. Cornrows, you know, it's black. Afro, I'm sorry, but if you're not black and you don't have black heritage, you don't have an Afro. That's just the truth, right? An actual Afro. So she's wearing all these styles and, you know, doing all those things. And I don't want to say her dressing because, I mean, is, is there really a black dress? I guess anybody can dress anyhow. What also makes it annoying is that she was, you know, put out by Jay-Z or whatever, or made famous by Jay-Z. And it was almost like she was supposed to be a Rihanna 2.0. And of course, Rihanna is black and she's from Barbados and all of that. And I don't know if, that was just the vibe that Jay-Z and Rock Nation and whoever told her to adopt to be in, more endearing to their fan base if she came up with that idea on her own. But I find it annoying. I don't blame her if people assumed she was black, right? Or had black heritage. But I find it annoying and shady that she's never actually come out to say, I'm not black. So it's almost like you're hiding under the umbrella of, well, I never said I was, but if you guys want to assume I am, I'll keep quiet and cash in on it, which is deceptive, right? Why does it matter? People like the Kardashians have been blamed. I mean, I'm sure there are a whole bunch of other people, but those are the people that come to mind when you think of cultural appropriation. People have, you know, dragged them for years saying, you know what, you guys are exhibiting black traits and you're profiting off it. You're making money off, you know, doing these hairstyles and 
you know, styles of makeup and dressing and, you know, enhancing your body and just pretty much giving off that vibe. And why black people were angry, because at first I didn't understand, I'm like, who cares? Like, is there a monopoly on hairstyles or, you know, facial features or body or, you know, things like that. But the reason is because those are things that black women have been ridiculed for, have been taunted about, you know, have been abused and racially prejudiced against for those things. So like I mentioned in some, um, some weeks ago where they say youth hair is not professional. So you're not supposed to go to work looking like this. There's a certain look they want you to have straight hair, which is naturally not ours. It's white people's hair. And of course who brought those norms, you know, who set those standards, of course it's white people, you know, racism, all that history. So these are things that black women were ridiculed for. and now, all of a sudden, people who are not black and don't have black heritage want to make it a fashion statement or make money or profit off it. I can see why it would be annoying and aggravating. So I think it's very shady of Rita Ora to not come out and actually dispel those ideas. Like, you know what, guys, this is actually who I am. This is where I'm from. If you see people dragging the Kardashians and other people for cultural appropriation, the only reason why you wouldn't say anything is because you are also cultural appropriating. I don't know if that's a word. You are also a cultural vulture. Like, you, an Afro, are you serious? That's just the height, you know? So anyway, that's what black fishing is. Just people pretending to be black. And I'm sure in more day-to-day interactions, you probably have people who you meet and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, my great-grandmother's, grandfather's, brother's, neighbor's, sister's cousin, you know, is black, right? There's just always some kind of attachment to black or you try to talk, you know, maybe like a black person or I think that's maybe what people are more used to, but you actually have others who are straight up either living as black or hiding under the umbrella of, well, I'm ambiguous and if people want to assume I'm black, if it's profiting me, I'm not going to correct you. So I don't know what you guys think about that or how you feel about that. If, have you heard about black fishing before? Do you think, who cares? That's a list of our problems. Do you think is the nature of the game? She's just doing what she has to do to make her money. You know, it's not her fault. It's hard to break into the industry. I mean, of course, at this point, she is known. So I feel like you could easily have come out to see. I mean, think about Rihanna when she came out. The whole vibe and everything they gave her was so different then from who she is now. Like she's grown into her own and she's redefined herself. So I don't think Rita, I don't know, was she afraid of backlash? Was she, anyway, a lot of people are angry at her on social media. So I'll give you that much. Now, talking about renouncing US citizenships. Honestly, <laughs> let me laugh in immigrants. Let me just put it that way. U.S. citizenship is the most coveted citizenship in the world. I dare to say that. People are trekking. Like, think about, you know, times of Jesus, the kind of trek they were trekking in the desert. People are trekking through countries, swimming, climbing over barbed wire, hiding in the bushes. I mean, going into underground tunnels, risking their lives borrowing money that they don't have, selling all their property to cross the border illegally into these United States. They're not even hoping to become citizens, right? Because when you cross the border illegally, I mean, I don't, as far as I know, there's no way you can become a citizen or regularize or whatever. But, you know, opportunity for your children, you know, and so on and so forth, future generations, or just to save your life or just to have a better quality of life. 
And then, of course, you have other people who come, maybe as visitors or students or business people, and they already knew they weren't going back. And they're like, you know, I have to stay here. I have to make a life for myself. I have to figure things out, you know, sham marriages. And this is such a huge industry because so much money, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands. I mean, people pay $50,000, $60,000, you know, just to some get into the country at all, others to get here and now get their green card or citizenship, you know, it really is an uphill. And of course, no matter where you live, even if you're not American, you know the battles that immigrants face with the U.S. government making all these rules and laws, not, you know, making it more difficult for people, making it difficult for companies to file, for their workers to stay here, making it difficult for people who came for school to establish themselves and settle and legally get into, you know, the system and get their green cards. In people who are married, the processing times are so much longer, so much more scrutiny. It's just a lot. And this present administration has really made it their thing to, you know, squeeze the rope around your neck. Like, oh, you want this thing? You'll suffer for it. I mean, well, last week or two weeks ago, I was posting on social media about how they're increasing the fees. And a lot of people are like, I couldn't even afford the fees before. How am I going to afford it now? Of course, it's all part of their ploy to, you know, dissuade you, discourage you, make it just more difficult, unreachable. So when you think about all of those factors and all of those things, and then you have people who are Americans, you know, they were born here, it's their rights, you know, they didn't have to do anything. And those ones are actually like, mm, I'm tired of being an American, peace out, deuces, I'm gone. So I found that just the irony of that to be so, I don't know, maybe mind-blowing? I don't know if that's the word to use. But anyway, let me give you the facts. So, of course, it's not new. Like, for centuries, you know, I'm sure, well, maybe not centuries, but since time immemorial, people have been renouncing their citizenships, you know, even American people, and that's not new. So, of course, there's already a process that forms you feel, and you can renounce your citizenship. So, in the last half of 2019, only 444 people renounced their citizenship. When you think about, you know, over 300 million people in America, that seems to be a small number, right? Actually, let me restate that. People who are renouncing their citizenships, most times are not people who live here, because obviously you can't live here and not, you know, renounce your citizenship. So people who live abroad, a lot of times expatriates, right? Or people who got married to someone from another um, country and moved over there and was like, you know what, life here is better. I'm not missing anything. So some of them will only keep it, you know, so they can come back and visit their family, other things like that. Others are just like, it's not worth it. Because when you're an American citizen, regardless of where you live, you're still supposed to, you know, report your income and file your taxes, which a lot of people find to be such a drag, you know. So I think that's usually has been the number one reason why people were giving up their citizenship. They're like, it doesn't make sense. I'm not there. I'm not enjoying any of the benefits. Why am I paying all these taxes? Let me just focus on where I am. So 444 people in the last half, so the last six months, July to December of 2019. Well, 2020 comes around and in the first quarter of 2020 alone, that's just January to March, 2,909 people renounced their citizenship, filed to renounce their citizenship. Can you guys just, can you beat that? How? Why? When? So... Six months, the last six months of 2019, only 444 people. I don't know what happened at the turn of 2020 that all of a sudden in those, you know, first three months, and I'm sure if you check, most of them were in March, obviously when COVID was starting and all that madness was beginning to hype up, 2,909 people were like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this anymore. 
Then the second quarter of 2020, so from April to June, another 2,702 people were like, yeah, we're following the lead of our predecessors in the last quarter. We are not doing this anymore. So, so far, first six months of 2020, 5,816 people have decided, whatever this your blue passport is, I don't care, I don't want it. I would say that's alarming because in the last six months, you've had so many more people trying to apply to, you know, people who have been green card holders for ages and, you know, didn't feel the need to switch over to citizenship. The fear of everything that has been going on and the government clamping down, all those people were rushing to switch over from green card to citizenship. So to see the other parallel of the people who naturally have this thing and are like, "Mm, yeah, no thanks. I don't know how it makes me feel. I don't know. It's like a, what they call it, first world problem. (laughs) It's, anyway, the main reason, like I said before, it was usually taxes and stuff. The main reason that people were giving, because on the form they'll ask you, actually, let me not make that up. I don't know if they ask you, but I believe they do. I I mean, why not? Or maybe people just take surveys. But from my research, they gave reasons. So I'm guessing there's some way for you to state your reason. The pandemic was one of the major reasons, right? People also said that they were fed up with this president's administration and then the way they were handling the COVID-19 crisis on top of that was just like, okay, straw that broke the camel's back. They couldn't take it anymore. A lot of people are expatriates, like I said, there are 9 million, you know, Americans that live outside the United States. I found people who are registered because some people are not registered. They just live out there and they don't go to the embassy and register. So 9 million people that are registered, out of those people, you know, a lot of them were just like, mm, after, you know, the whole COVID thing happened, I reevaluated my relationship with the United States and I realized there's really no points. Like, what am I holding on to? Of course, as you guys know, when the whole thing started getting crazy, like March, all these countries were telling their citizens, you better start coming back home. We're going to close the borders. We don't really know what's happening. Come in now or else be stuck outside. So, of course, that would have given people pause, like, hmm. Do I want to go back? And for a lot of them, I guess they realized, no, I'd rather stay where I am. There's really nothing there for me. If I need to go, I'll go as a visitor. So, yeah. There's a fee, of course. It's not free. $2,350 to renounce your U.S. citizenship. What if it was that easy to become a U.S. citizen? Like, just fill a form. Explain why you think you should be a citizen. Pay $2,350 and you become a citizen. I kid you not. The streets to be overflowing, like the let me not say the entire world, but I'm pretty sure millions of people, and I'm not exaggerating, would be knocking on the embassy doors, like <laughs> take my paper, take my paper. Anyway, in the article that I was reading, they were trying to think of you know positives to people who kept their citizenship even though they don't live here, and they were saying, well, you would still be entitled to all these pandemic benefits, you know, stimulus, whatever that people were getting, and I'm like. Most people who got the stimulus benefits was like, what, $1,200, $1,200. And if it was a husband and wife, you know, you made below certain thresholds, it was $2,400. You're paying $2,350 to lose the citizenship. I'm pretty sure the stimulus money is not your problem. You know what I mean? So I guess that even that wasn't a draw for them. I'm wondering that they didn't give the distribution of where these people are. I think that would be interesting because if they are in, say, like Europe or countries where 
you don't need a visa to visit the US. You just need to, you know, go online and fill the electronic authorization and you just fly in. Then I will see why it will make sense because they also have a powerful passport and they don't need a visa. But if you were, I don't know, say maybe you would move to Nigeria. <laughs> I would want to know what would possess you to renounce your US citizenship in favor of having a Nigerian passport because I mean, you can go to other West African countries, but even South Africa right there, you need a visa. You need a visa for almost everywhere. And it's difficult. It's not even a thing of if you have the papers in order. As we've seen, the last few months of last year and even the beginning of this year, before COVID now came and, you know, heightened everything, even people who had a good track record, had a good job, had a history of traveling and coming back, the embassy was just can't. It was like an Oprah show. You don't get a visa. You don't get a visa. You don't. Just embarrassing people, ruining people's plans, just reject, 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 reject. So I would actually be interested to know or find out if any of these people who is renouncing their citizenship is renouncing it in favor of a, and I use this word in air quotes, a lesser passport or I guess a, hmm, I don't know, that's a dangerous word to use. A passport that's not as powerful, that's a better way to phrase it, right? So a lot of African or Middle Eastern passports are not powerful. So it'd be interesting to know. Do you know anybody who has renounced their U.S. citizenship? I know some people who have renounced maybe like their British citizenship when they got married and maybe moved to Nigeria. You know, some of my friends, parents. But American citizenship, I've never heard of until today. I haven't met anyone who has. So what do you guys think or know about this? How does this make you feel? Are you angry? Are you? Can you see a reason why? Do you know anybody who has done it? What was their reason? How did it work out for them? Did they ever regret it? I know you can get your citizenship back, but it's a really long and tedious process. So I'm guessing these people did it and, you know, let it go. Chicago people, answer present. I'm calling your name. You guys are just too much and it's not good. This is not like a positive. This is not a hype. This is a what's wrong with you. What's, what was really wrong with you guys? So. If you guys have been reading the news or following the news, they have talked about how crime rates have gone up significantly since COVID-19. So places like Chicago and New York are reporting like crime is through the roof and murders in particular, homicides, are just crazy. So if you know anything about Chicago, you probably heard about Chicago South Side and, you know, there's a lot of killings and stuff that go on. But for them to actually be complaining that this is more than usual, then you know, as your rap will say in Kombe, something is up, something is happening, something is not right. Unfortunately, children have been getting killed, which for me is painful because if adults are doing their thing and they know what they're doing, that's on them. But when innocent children, you hear nine-year-olds, four-year-olds just get caught in the crossfire, it's, it's heartbreaking. There was a video I saw maybe last week or two weeks ago where this woman was outside with a guy and a kid and, you know, it was a drive-by. People just drove by and just had a shooting. So before they could blink, it was just bullets flying. These people didn't even pause. Like, clearly, as you're driving up, you can see a child there, like, you know, a small child. They didn't care. Like, child that she was actually carrying, not even, you know, stand. I'm sure the child could stand, like, old enough to stand, but, you know, small enough for her to still be able to carry. And they were just spraying bullets Literally stayed there and we just sprayed the bullets and then drove off. And I'm like, what in the actual, I mean, this is madness and it's absurd. And these are the kind of things that white people see and they're like, <laughs> I thought you guys said uh, Black Lives Matter. Clearly, it doesn't matter to you. Of course, I don't believe they're allowed to say that it's not your business. It's like 
people in their house, you know, maybe siblings fighting and then you on the outside want to fight and they're like, no, you fight when you fight all. And then you now have the audacity to say, well, but you guys fight. Of course, it's their right. They're siblings. That's what they can do. But you are an outsider. So I see it the same way. I think as black people, we can criticize ourselves on this whole black on black crime. But if you are not a black person, don't don't try it. Just listen and just listen for listening's sake. It's information. Don't add your mouth. If you don't know what that means, that means don't give your opinion. You will not be received well. So yes, this is what has been going on in Chicago and it's been sad. It's been annoying. But that's not it. These people just find ways to up the ante and, you know, it's like, you know, we're making waves where what else can we do? There's just this maybe agitation and I don't know if it's from lockdown or this energy that they need to let out. Anyway, on Sunday, somewhere called, hmm, let me not spell the name, Englewood, E-N-G-L-E-W-O-O-D. I'll say Englewood. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a Chicago person. There was a, I'm supposed to be a nice area that has like a lot of shops and stuff like that. Anyway, there was a complaint. Somebody called the police to say there was a young guy with a gun. And when the police got there, they realized it was this 20 year old guy that had a criminal history. So he's been charged with burglary, child endangerment, assault, and battery, which when you think about it, that is somebody you should be cautious of, right? He has nothing to lose. You should be careful. You should be cautious. So when the police arrived, of course, they start going back and forth with him. The guy starts running and shooting. Well, I don't know if they went back and forth with him. I don't know why I added that part. He started running and shooting at the police. Of course, they will shoot back. He got injured, but he didn't die. So they arrested him, took him to the hospital. You know, it wasn't anything life-threatening, but he got treated. You know, the case will proceed. Somehow or the other, a different story started spreading. I don't know if you guys have played this game, Chinese Whispers, where you sit in a circle and whoever is the person starting the game will come up with a phrase or, you know, sentence and whisper it into the ears of the person next to them. And you can't repeat it. You just say it the one time. Whatever they hear, they repeat to the next person. So pretty much it goes around the circle, of course, till it comes back to the last person who's sitting next to the originator and they whisper it. So of course, a lot of times you see from their reaction, maybe they will scream or start laughing because what came back to them is so <laughs> different from what they actually said. And if you play this game, it's so much fun. If I've been thinking about this game, I'm like, man, it would be nice to play Chinese Whispers again. But with COVID and everything, that is not the game to be playing because you don't want to be that close to people. You don't want to be whispering in their ears, being around their face. That's a no. But anyway, the more people there are in the circle, the funnier it is because, of course, the more people you tell something, you know, word of mouth, tell this person to tell that person to tell that person, the actual real message disintegrates till it turns into something. To, I mean, sometimes none of the words will be the same. Like literally the first person might say black cats ran. And then the other person will now say beans are good. And you're thinking, wait, what, how? Sometimes it's actually funny when someone in the middle hears something that sounds so ridiculous and they actually exclaim like, what are you talking about? Or what are you saying? Or how is this possible? You know, so it's part of the fun. And obviously everybody's excited to hear what the final, you know, results or end product to be so anyway something like chinese whispers <laughs> happened in Ch in this you know chicago area and people started saying oh you know while the cops are trying to get this guy they inadvertently shot a child and most people when they hear a child was shot you know righteous anger you're like what you know what 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 no we have to do something so crowds started gathering and there was going to be a you know protest 
which we've been seeing a lot of protests, especially when police is involved. Nothing new or should have been new about that. But tensions have been so high for the past few months and in places like Chicago way before that anyway, it was really tense. It was like a standoff for hours, like into the night. Clearly for some people, that wasn't achieving their own aim. So in all these things, which I've talked about, I think maybe the first week that we, I started the podcast, we're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything going on. I talked about how there are people who actually, you know, are there for the good of the cause. There's something that they want to see done or see happen. And there are others who are just there to cause mischief because there's chaos. I can get away with, you know, maybe what I wouldn't have ordinarily been able to get away with. That's why we were seeing people looting in the beginning, going into Apple store, you know, carrying 16 flash screen TVs on their heads and stealing shoes and designer stuff and all of that. So anyway, there's always those people in any kind of protest situation or scenario. So when there were, the 10 standoff was going on, I guess these people were like, mm, I mean, that's not really why I'm here. I was thinking this would be my opportunity to get, you know, new shoes, new, you know, gadgets. What, what's up? What's up? What's up? So they started motivating on social media and decided to organize some kind of caravan descent thing where a whole bunch of cars just pull up, you know, downtown and just go crazy. So they start doing that. They get downtown. I don't know if the police was already alert, if somebody told them, but almost immediately the police, you know, found out what was going on. They mobilized and in 15 minutes they were downtown. But at that point, all hell was already breaking loose. These people were driving their cars into the storefronts. So it's not even trying to break into the door. Literally think about, you know, storefronts that are made of glass, right? Show glasses so you can see from the outside what they're selling and what's in their display window. These cars drove into those storefronts and that, I mean, all those glass, hey God, all those glass, all the glass, you know, just shattered and people are running in and grabbing stuff and running out. There's really nothing, there's no barrier and there's no, you know, barricade, nothing's preventing you. So the police get there, they're like, hmm, this thing's out of hand. We need, you know, reinforcements. About 400 police officers are deployed to that area. And of course, everybody's already on high alert, police, the people. So they start clashing, you know, and these people start attacking the police with bottles, with glass, like beating them. One police officer had his nose broken. And then some of them are just in their cars driving by and shooting. So some of the police officers were shot. The whole thing really was just anarchy, really. And of course, people were still stealing, you know, they got into Best Buy, which are, you know, huge electronic stores and people were stealing games and, you know, whatever else they wanted to steal. And police was trying and the whole place was just a mess. And I don't know. For me, when I read stuff like that, I'm like, what is your point? What is the aim? You know? If you're protesting because you thought a child was shot and, you know, information actually comes that a child was shot, then yes, you know, I understand your protest or your anger. But if it's just a rumor that was actually now told you guys, this is just a rumor, this didn't happen. Nobody produced any child to say this is child that was shot. There was no picture of, you know, justice for, you know, this person. It was just them say, them say. If you're not Nigerian, that means they said, you know, he said, she said, somebody said. So it just seems to me that there were mischievous people who really just want to use the opportunity to wreak havoc and maybe, you know what, school is about to start. I need new fits, new shoes, new clothes. I need designer stuff. You know, I want the latest AirPods. And I don't know, guys, it's tiring and it's counterproductive because 
all the work that Black Lives Matter movement has been doing and all the recognition they've been trying to get and respect they've been forcing people to give them. When you do stuff like this, it really just erases all of that and drags us all the way back. Because when white people look, all they see is who are these bunch of savages that when they're left to their, you know, their own devices, will kill each other, will loot, will even ruin their own, you know, lives or opportunities. And what is especially painful is that a lot of these businesses, some of them are small businesses, some of them are owned by black people as well. So it's self-harm, it's self-sabotage. These are people who are members of your own community and you are sabotaging their businesses. Don't forget that a lot of businesses were closed because of COVID-19, a lot of stores, a lot of restaurants. So most of them are just slowly trying to get back on their feet and not even 100% capacity because most states and cities have laws saying, you know, you can only fill up to 50% or 25%. You know, customers are still not comfortable going out. If they go out, it's like in and out. They're not staying long. Not as many people are buying luxury items because of the state of the economy, high unemployment rates. So... These people are already suffering. These people are already dealing with a lot of loss, uncertainty. So many even big brands are going bankrupt, not to talk of these small ones. All the loans that the government had given out for COVID relief, most of these small businesses didn't even get them. So think about you as an, a business owner thinking you're giving back to the society, you know, you're raising the profile of black people, you're an employer, you're really, you know, making an impact in improving your community. And then your own fellow black people come and do something like this. It's so, oh. and then the mayor of Chicago is a black woman. So I don't know, it almost feels like, which is kind of what was happening in Atlanta the other time too. It's almost an, in, I think it was in Baltimore or somewhere in Maryland where they have, you know, black mayors that are female. And it's almost like you guys are trying to make them look incompetent, right? When the rest of the world looks, they're like, oh, this is why we shouldn't vote for women. This is why we shouldn't vote for black women. They can't, you know, control their cities or maintain law and order. So it's actually upsetting to me. I'll just put that out there. As a black woman, it's actually upsetting to me because I feel like these women are doing their best. They're trying, they're trying to break glass ceilings, they're up against the grain, all the odds are against them. And then their own people are now turning around to ridicule and discredit them. So I don't know, guys, if black lives really matter, it starts from within. We have to get it together. That's the only way, you know how they say dress the way you want to be addressed, you know? The way we appear to others, the way we present ourselves is how they will take us. You can't want other people to take you serious or give you the level of respect and credibility that you don't even give yourself. So if somehow you know any of these troublemakers, please beg them to stop. We're, we're, we're way past that now. There are more important things that we need to be doing, like registering to vote. I really want to clap, but I don't know what the sound is going to be like. So let me pity you people's eardrums, but I'm clapping in my mind. Register to vote, please. I know I was to say it. You need to register so that you can vote on November 3rd. That's what priority should be right now, you know? In that situation, I want to say, thankfully, there were a lot of arrests made. They had arrested like about 100 people and they were still, you know, reviewing CCTV, hmm, reviewing CCTV footage and, you know, trying to identify other people who were involved and arresting those ones too. And oh, it's tiring. Anyway, guys, to the exciting part, I told you guys that I had a project that is so dear to my heart that I've been working on, on and off for a while, say a few months now, you know. Finally, it is coming to light. So what is this project? It is a challenge that is called Your Change for Change. You guys like that? I like it. Pretty much means you donate your change. And when we add all our change together, we can enact change 
in the lives of these girls and in their situations. So who are these girls? What am I talking about? Period. Poverty. I know a lot of people are like, excusez-moi, pardon, répétez s'il vous plaît. What are you talking about? It's a thing, guys. Period poverty. And it simply just means that there is a lack of access or if there is, it's inadequate for these girls to get menstrual hygiene tools and education. So things like sanitary pads, you know, underwear, soap, even clean water to take a good shower. They don't have access. They don't even have the education. It's one thing to know you need something, but not have money to buy it, but not to even know you need it at all. You guys won't believe that in some places, in some parts of sub-Saharan Africa, they believe that getting your period as a woman is a punishment for bad behavior. Some of them think it's a symptom of HIV. Now with the corona pandemic, some of them even think it's a sign that you have coronavirus. And it's really heartbreaking. I told you guys a few weeks ago about how I was having really bad cramps and I usually get, you know, pretty bad cramps. And one thing my cousin always says, you know, when I say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to have my period, you know, do you have everything you need? Do you have, you know, pads? Do you have painkillers? Do you have a hot water bottle? Have you stocked up on? Usually I eat crackers a lot because that's the only thing I can, you know, keep down, you know? And for me, it's more like, okay, have I gotten to the store to get those things? It's never been a, I can't afford any of those things or I don't even know they exist. So I'm thinking of all the discomfort and the bloating and the cramps and every other thing that we don't like about periods. Then imagine not even knowing what it is. That fear and confusion, stigma and shame. Oh my goodness. You won't believe that because they don't know what it is, their mothers don't know what it is. It just happens they don't know. It's something shameful that they hide. They end up using things like dry leaves, chicken feathers, banana skins, old newspapers, old clothes, rags. Sand, you guys, cow dung. It's almost like anything they can find that if you stuff up that place and stop blood from coming out. Some of them don't even have any of those things to use. So they just go dig a hole in the ground and they sit there. Can you imagine sitting just randomly outside for most people on their periods were three to five days. They just sit there and let everything, you know, is over, is done. And they go, oh my goodness. I don't know. It's, it's something... I can't really get too much into it because, you know, I don't want the podcast to be too long. But that's really the premise of what this is about. And periods don't pause when there's a pandemic. Your period is not like, oh, there's a pandemic. Okay, well, let's just put everything on hold. No. So in, with everything that is going on around the world, all the uncertainty, these girls are still getting their periods and still struggling, you know, with this thing. Unfortunately for a lot of them, because they don't have the adequate materials or hygiene products to use when they're on their periods they don't go to school when they're on their periods that's three to five days a month that's if their period is no longer that they miss every single month these are people already struggling and barely you know a lot of them are barely keeping up with school and their home chores and the distance having to go a far place and then you're now missing all this time involuntarily because one you don't know what's happening to you you can't go to class so they fall behind and a lot of them drop out some of them are like, I don't care. I'm still going to school anyway. But of course, you get stained. That's so embarrassing. Your male classmates are laughing at you. Teachers are laughing at you. Community people are laughing at you. The shame is a lot. There's so much stigma. There's so much fear surrounding it. A lot of them just feel like this is such a traumatic, isolating event. They just drop out altogether. Do you know there are 49.5 million girls in sub-Saharan Africa that are not in school? Can you just imagine that in some places up to 51% have that's the rate of dropouts. And the main reason is 
literally they just started menstruating, they got their periods. That's the reason why their education is kaput, is over. So I don't know. I said I didn't want to really go into this, but I feel like I'm going too much into it. Anyway, that's the project I've been working on. A lot of these girls were getting this education and sanitary products, you know, donated to them through their schools, through community centers, outreaches, missionaries, you know, um, non-profit organizations that will come into their villages and towns. But of course, COVID-19 happened and all that is stopped, it's stemmed, it's ended. Unfortunately for these girls, nothing. But their periods are still happening. So, what you know... Another issue is when they drop out of school, what else are they going to do? They start getting married. So the girls of 13, 14 are getting married, children getting married. And of course, they get pregnant, teen pregnancy. So you have children having children, which of course increases the mortality rate. So it really is a scary and sad, vicious cycle. So it's a passion that I have to see what we can do to donate money, to buy pads, to buy, you know, sanitary kits, to get them soap, other things that they need to get through their periods, especially during this pandemic. Most of their resources are dried out. They need, like, it's essential. I don't know how else to put it. It's essential. You know, they have to. They need these things. So the whole idea for this year, change for changes, to you, you might think, mm, this money I have is too small. It's nothing. It's just $5. It's just change. It's what's there. It means something. If we all give $5, if 100 people give $5, it's down to 500 you know? So I set this up. There is a website that has, like, information. There are links. There are various ways you can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, Zelle. If you are in Nigeria, Africa, there is um, Zenith Bank information that you can also donate to. And the whole challenge is just twofold. One, donate, donate, donate. There's nothing too small. Two, of course, you already know nothing too much. If you want to give a million, we'll take it. Two, share. So if you share with your friends, share with your family, colleagues, church members, neighbors, WhatsApp groups, or your social media, just get the word out. The more people that give their change, it will actually become a lot of money. And there's so many countries, Nigeria, Ghana, Sierra Leone, Uganda, Democratic Republic of Congo, Zambia, Uganda, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, Malawi just a lot of countries that will benefit from this. So please check out Bansa Motivation IG page. I'll put the links there, the link to the website. The website has everything. There's a whole video. I made a video explaining everything in detail so you can see it, you can understand it, you can do your Google research. And importantly, you can give, give, give. God loves a cheerful giver. We all know that already. No amount is too small. That's just the key, right? Don't feel like, eh, my $2 is not going to make a difference. My 1,000 Naira, it will. If a thousand people think the same way, think about how much that is, right? There's power in community. So that's what my personal project is. Your change for change. Like I said, all the information for you to access this project, this challenge will be on the Bounce and Motivation Instagram page. You can go there. Get a link to the website, watch the video, look at all the information that I put there and you can see how you can donate. I'll also put the ways you can donate directly on the Instagram page, Advance and Motivation. That's all for this episode, guys. Sorry it was long because I really want to talk about this project. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. As always, don't forget to join the BAM fam on Instagram at B-A-N-T-S-A-N-D-M-O-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N. 
please share the podcast so we can grow the BAM Nation. My normal reminder, be kind, be safe, be careful. And please, guys, some of you are cutting up too much. Behave. Please check out the Change for Change Challenge. Donate, share with your contacts. Until next week, bye.